John chapter 14, verse 15 to verse 31. Hear the word of the Lord. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Let yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Back in 1948, C.S. Lewis wrote an article about how to live in the age of the atomic bomb. And it's a a timely article for us, and he has some interesting comments there, and it's interesting to try to apply that to this uh, pandemic, although there is a significant difference if you do read the article. In the case of the atomic bomb, there is not anything that any individual can really do to prevent it from happening, whereas in this case, individuals and communities can band together. But his basic conclusion is that we should live the way we should live anyway. In the age of the atomic bomb, we should keep living as we should live any day, any way. And that's good counsel for us as well. That we, if we are believers in Jesus, how should we live uh, in the age of a pandemic? Well, we should live as Christians should live in any age. And how should we live? Well, in this text today, we have Jesus distinguishing, as he does throughout this discourse, between his own and the world. And we've seen in the Gospel of John that the world is rebellious humanity. And so those who are his own have come out of the world and no longer part of the world. They are rather his own. And he describes his own in this section as those who love me. Those are his own. Those who love me. And so in this section we have Jesus explaining 
how those live who love Jesus, and also some of the great benefits that Jesus and the Father give to those who love Him. Now, the first thing we need to recognize, and it's repeated at least four times in this in this section, is that those who love Jesus are characterized by keeping His commandments. Keeping His commandments. Now, sometimes, mistakenly, we think of love and commandments as opposite to each other. But Jesus says here, four times, those who love Him will keep His commandments. Look at verse 15. If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. Now look at verse 21. Whoever has My commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves Me. Verse 23. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves Me, he will keep My word, and My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And then we have the opposite of that. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And so Jesus repeatedly emphasizes that those who love him will keep his word or words or commandment. He uses those words more or less interchangeably. Now, up to this point, you will remember in the Gospel of John that the author has emphasized the love of the the Father, the love of God, the love of the Father for the Son, the love of God for the world, for God so loved the world that He sent His Son. And Jesus has also, also emphasized His own love for His own. You remember back in John chapter 10 that the, the Good Shepherd loves the sheep and the Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. Or if you look at chapter 13, verse 1, Uh, When Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. And so the emphasis up to this point has been on the Father's love, God's love, Jesus' love. But now He says there is a reciprocal love. There is a reciprocal love to God's love. There is a response. And that is the response of His own who love Him. Now, this expression of love for Jesus is, as I said, keeping His commandments. And this is nothing new. We ought not to be surprised about this. If you go back to Deuteronomy, for example, uh, many texts in Deuteronomy, even in Exodus chapter 20, it it speaks of this in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 25, also 20, verse 5 that is, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 10, the the Ten Commandments once again, chapter 7, verse 9, 11, 1 and 13, Chapter 30, verse 16, all of these verses put love and keeping the commandments together. Faith, which shows itself in love, and love, which is characterized by keeping God's commandments. So this is nothing new. The New Testament, especially in John's writings, says the same sort of thing. So much so that loving and keeping commandments are are virtually synonymous with each other. They describe each other. If you look, for example, in 1 John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, it says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. So this is what it looks like to love God, to keep His commandments. Now, what do we know of Jesus' commandments? He's given a number of commandments in the Gospel of John, but He's given one overall. Do you remember what it was back in chapter 13? This is... Uh, a new commandment that I give to you, what is it? 
to love one another as Christ has loved us, which we saw was a very, very tall, tall command. Now, um, this might make some people nervous and um, because they might say, well, now it's not so much about God's, or rather our love for God, but it's really more about God's love for us. And, and, and I'm totally in agreement with that because John is totally in agreement with that as well. That's how it starts. Let's look at, at 1 John once again. And he describes the relationship here. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so that's absolutely right. That's the priority. That is the, the initiative love. That is the greater love. It is, is, that's the amazing love. It's not surprising that we should love God. What's surprising is that God would love us. And so that's the startling good news of the Gospel. And it says, it's not so much that we've loved God, but that God loved us. And how did He love us? By giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins so that we might have forgiveness if we trust in His Son. But, John doesn't leave it there. If you go down to verse 19 of that same chapter in 1 John, it says this, We love because He first loved us. We love because He first loved us loved us. So it's not just that God loved us, although that's the amazing part, that's the astounding, startling part, that God would love us by sending His own Son. But it says we love as well. Why? Because He first loved us. And this is, this is how love works, doesn't it? The, the, the lover loves the beloved, and the beloved responds, how? In love. And how are we to love? By keeping His Commandments. Now, um, that's, that's how those who love Christ, those who are His own, should live in this age or in any age. But this chapter actually has many benefits that those who love Christ receive. And the first is that He gives His Holy Spirit to those who love Him. Look at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. And you'll find throughout this chapter, when Jesus speaks of us keeping his commandments, in the same breath, he talks about his presence with us, or he talks about his giving of the Holy Spirit. And there's not a a causal connection that he identifies here, but we can put two and two together and understand that any obedience that we might be able to render to Jesus and His commandments is precisely because He gives us this helper. He gives us His Holy Spirit. So we ought not to think of our obedience even as some sort of accomplishment on our own part because what He gives to us, whom He gives to us, is the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a difficult word to translate. And you may, be, you may be aware that other translations have different translations here. Uh, a traditional translation was the comforter. Uh, some translations have friend. Some translations have advocate. When it says here, I will give you another helper, another helper, it's not a common word. And uh, first of all, we need to ask the question, if it's another helper, in addition to whom? Well, he doesn't say... But we have some help from another of John's writings. If you go back, once again, to 1 John, 
We're depending on 1 John some to interpret John. 1 John chapter 2, this time, verses 1 and 2. It says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, the same word there, sometimes translated, not translated, but transliterated into English as paraclete. Uh, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And so John helpfully identifies the, the first helper, the first friend, the first advocate. And this advocate translation is a good one because this word in the ancient world had a legal bearing. It was a friend at court. It was a a defender. It was one who was called alongside to support you in whatever situation in which you found yourself. And so it does have that bearing, but back in John, we find that this advocate, this friend, this defender does more than just a legal defense. This friend is with us to help us in whatever way we may need to do what God has called us to do. And, and we have some of his functions here. Some of his functions. So verse 16. Another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, neither sees him nor knows him. Now, he's called twice the spirit of truth here. And if you go down to verses 26. 26 it says, The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, as the spirit of truth, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So, as the Spirit of Truth, what is His job? It is to teach, but it is not to be a, an innovative teacher, a creative teacher, making up new things or revealing new things. His job is to teach us and to remind us the things that Jesus gave us. But Jesus was even was not even being innovative. If you look at verse 24, it says, The word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So the Father gives His words to Jesus. Jesus gives His words to us, but then Jesus goes away. But in His place, He leaves the Spirit of truth. And that Spirit of truth, His work is to bring to mind and to teach us about Jesus' words. You will sometimes hear Christians say things like this, The Spirit told me. The Spirit told me. And if you hear an expression like that, or if you were to say an expression like that, I hope the next thing that will come out of your mouth is some teaching that Jesus has already given us. Because that's what He says that the Spirit's job is to do. To take what Jesus has already given us and to remind us and to instruct us in that. That's His work. But not only is His work as a defender, a helper, a friend at court, and a a communicator, a reminder of the truth, but also we find that He is with us. If you go back to John chapter 14, verse 17... It says, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. This chapter is shot through with with you, 
in you expressions or beside you expressions. And so he is with us. He is in us if we are believers in Jesus. Now, this leads us into the second benefit. So, so far, what have we seen? Those who love Christ keep his commandments and Christ gives to those who love him his Holy Spirit. And that Spirit dwells within us. But Jesus goes on in verses 18 to 24 to amplify this dwelling. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Let Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Now, scholars rightly work on this chapter and try to figure out which comings he's referring to. Is he referring to, we saw last week, some, some difficulty with the first verses of this chapter. Is he talking about coming in the Holy Spirit? Is he talking about coming after the resurrection? Is he talking about coming at the end of the ages to take his people home? Which coming? But it seems clear in this section anyway that he's talking about them seeing him very shortly. Them seeing him visibly, physically very shortly. That is to say, he's talking about his appearances to them after the resurrection. Now you'll remember, if you read the other gospel accounts, and this one as well later on, we'll see it, that when Jesus rose from the dead, He didn't show Himself to the world, as you might have expected a risen Savior to do. He showed Himself to His disciples. And He says that here. He says, They will not see Me, the world will not see Me, but you will see Me. I will show Myself to you, because I live, you live Also, this whole discourse came out of Jesus' announcement that He was going away. But now He says, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you and I will be with you. Now, He goes on here and He says in verse 20, In that day you will know that I am in My Father and you in Me and I in you. And this should get our attention. We have already heard Him say more than once, I am in the Father and the Father is in Me. And we're beginning to understand that, 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 they, that they are both God, the one God, and they interdwell in each other. The Father is in the Son, the Son as is in the Father. But now he takes that a step further. And he says, I will be in you, and you will be in me. And then he goes on, and right after he says that, He says, whoever has my commandments, verse 21, and keeps them, he it is who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him and manifest myself to him. So we have these ideas mixed together here. The the dwelling of God within us, our keeping his commandments and expressing our love to him. And I want you to notice how this circle of love continues. Look at verse 21. So we've seen that who loves first? God is the one who initiates. God is the lover. We're the beloved. And then we, in response, love Jesus. And now it says that in response to that love, God loves us as well. Look at verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So this is a... This is genuinely a love fest going on here, isn't it? This is a divine human love fest. God comes to us in love. He gives His Son for our sins. We respond in faith and in love to Him and by His Spirit keep His commandments. And He in response loves us as well. But this should not be surprising. 
if we know anything about love in our, in our poor human relationships, we understand that that's how love works, doesn't it? Love begets love. Love brings out love. Think of, think of a well-functioning marriage. How does it work? Someone takes the initiative. There's some interest there. And one of them, or maybe both at the same time, begin to take the initiative. Well, let's say one takes the initiative with the other. And that other responds in love, which brings out even more love in the lover. That's how it works. That's how, that's how it works in friendships as well. That's how it works in human relationships. And that's how it works as well here. God's love, primary. Our love, secondary. And then... To that love, God responds, and Jesus responds with even more love. Now, verse 20 is is quite surprising. We already heard that the Spirit is going to be dwelling in those who are Jesus' own. But verse 20 says, In that day, after the resurrection, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments keeps them, he it is who loves me, and so on. And uh, it says, though, that the Father and the Son will live in us. 23, Jesus answered, If anyone loves me and will keeps my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So there it says that not only the Spirit, but the Father and the Son make their home within believers. Now, that's a bit difficult to understand how the Trinity may dwell in us, and that may well be through the work of the Holy Spirit, which is the the normal emphasis, but I want you to see here that he is saying that in some way, likely through the Spirit's present in us, that it is the Trinity, is the triune God that makes His home in us. Now, Judas wanted to know why this was being restrictive. If you look at verse 22, Judas... Not Iscariot. We know what happened to Judas Iscariot, right? He went out and it was night. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Now think about this. Jesus has been saying that the climax was coming, that he was going to be glorified, and he was going to go away, and then he was going to come back. And if you're one of the disciples, you would think, okay, the climax is coming. He's finally going to let loose. He's finally going to reveal Himself to the world. He's finally going to manifest Himself in all His glory to the whole world. But Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. And Judas Judas says, why not? Why not? This is the time to do that if you're reaching the pinnacle of your glory. Show yourself to the world. And Jesus uh, refuses. And He doesn't really answer exactly, verse 23, But he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him. We will come to him. We will make our home with him. So he just emphasizes that his plan is not to show himself to the world. His plan is to show himself to his disciples and to take up residence in his disciples so that we might keep his commandments. Now, so we have two things. We have two benefits, two gifts. We have the Holy Spirit and we have God dwelling in us, which is really, in some ways, saying the same thing in two different ways. But in addition to that, and here Jesus comes full circle, uh, He gives us His peace. If we are His, if we love Him, He gives us His peace. And here He comes full circle. Look at verse 25. Verse 25 says, These things I've spoken with you... I'm sorry, we already read 25. You look 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. 
Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Have we heard that before? We heard it just last week, didn't we? Look at verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. But there's a new reason why we should not let our hearts be troubled or let our hearts be afraid. And that is verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. So this is another reason. This is another reason, folks, why we can live peacefully, why we can live unafraid, why we don't have to let our hearts be troubled, because He gives us His peace. And He distinguishes His peace from the way the world gives peace. You've probably noticed how authorities are trying to, on the one hand, alarm us, and, and, and get us to react properly to this pandemic. On the other hand, they're trying to give us peace. But I, I don't know if you've noticed in yourself that the kind of peace that they're giving doesn't last very long. They say things like this. Well, we have many companies working on a vaccine. That, that's, that cheers my heart. I'm glad to know that. But then I start thinking, well, when it comes out, who's going to get it? And, and how long will it take? And then that begins to disturb me. And then Washington announces that they have multi-trillion dollar uh, aid and relief for those who are, are hurting during this time. And I say, well, that's great that the people who are struggling in their families and their businesses. But then I start thinking, wait a minute, who's going to pay for all that eventually? And then that, that takes my, my peace away uh, or... Or the, the stock market, if anybody has money in the stock market and it tanked, and well, there have been some days of a, a partial rebound, but then we know what comes up, goes up, also goes down. And so the, the, these, these messages of peace don't go very far to calming our hearts in a more permanent way. Jesus repeated why. Uh, why this is good news for him, or for us that he's going away. He says, peace I give to you. This sounds strange, doesn't it? Peace I give to you and I'm leaving now. Peace I li- give to you and I'm leaving. But he says, that's a good thing for you. And let's try to put these things together. Verse 28, you have heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Now he's taking some big steps here. So peace I give to you, not as the world gives peace. I give permanent peace. I give deep peace. I give lasting peace. And you should be happy about the fact that I'm leaving because I'm going to the Father. And the Father is greater than I. Now this verse, the Father is greater than I, is one of the heretics' favorite verses. Because heretics always have one verse. Those who teach false teaching, they always have one verse that they can appeal to, and they appeal to it out of context. Now, if you're reading the Gospel of John, the whole Gospel of John, you will have no doubt by this point that Jesus claims to be equal with the Father. He claims to be God, even as the whole New Testament presents Him. There is no doubt about that. And so when He says, the Father is greater than I... He can't be talking about that the Father is greater in being than Jesus is. He must be referring to something else. If I were to say something like this, if I were to say, the mayor of Pompano Beach is greater than I, you would not conclude, 
Are you saying, Larry, that he is more of a human than you are? That would be a ridiculous sort of statement. It wouldn't even occur to you that I'm talking about his being being greater than my being. I would be saying, well, on March 27th, he wrote a, an executive order that I could not have written, and he signed it. He is, has that sort of authority in our city that I do not have. He is in a state at this point which is greater than my state in the authority that he wields and in the, the glory that he has. So let's look at it in this context. He says, the Father is greater than I. Jesus is in the flesh. Jesus is subject to the weakness of the flesh in his incarnate uh, state here. But he is quickly going to go to the Father and return to that state of glory that he shared with the Father, still in the flesh, but glorified with the Father. So it's good that Jesus is going away. He's going back to his state of glory with the Father and joining the Father in that greater state. And so he says, I tell you this before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. Now let's go back to this advocate idea. Where do you want your advocate to be? If you have a friend, if you have a defender, if you have somebody who's representing you, who's somebody who is, is on your team, where do you want that person to be? You want that person to be in the most powerful place possible. And that's what Jesus is saying here. It's good for you that I go away. I'm the first advocate, and I'm going to the real corridors of power. I am going to the throne of glory of my Father. And there, as we'll find out, He will be sharing that glory with the Father. That's good news for us. Now, He says, in concluding this section, I won't talk with you much longer, the ruler of this world is coming. And this ruler of the world that He refers to, what's the world in John? It's rebellious humanity. Who's the ruler of rebellious humanity? It's, it's the devil, it's Satan, it's the enemy. And He says, He's coming And He's coming for me. But, He says, He has nothing in me. He has no claim on me. In other words, Jesus is saying, He's coming. He's doing His thing. But His thing is not in control here. He's not the one who rules here. He has no claim in me. He has no hook in me. He has no way to dominate me. On the contrary, I'm the one who's in control here. But there is one who has claim on Jesus. And that's the Father. Look at verse 31. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Now, think about that. He's talked about how we should show our love for Him. It's by doing what? Keeping His commandments. And how does He show His love for the Father? The exact same way. He says, I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus shows His love for the Father by keeping His commands. We show our love for Jesus by keeping His commands as well. Now, getting back to our original question, how are we to live in these days? Well, we're to live as Christians should always live. And how is that? In faith, in love, which shows itself in obedience, wrought by the Holy Spirit, God dwelling within us in response to His love, and we are to love, uh, live, that is to say, live in peace. Anything new here? Anything new here, folks? Faith, love, obedience, 
peace. Well, those are our marching orders during this pandemic and during every day. B.B. Warfield was a Princeton theologian, and he tells a story. He was a great lover of a document called the Shorter Catechism of the Westminster Assembly, which is one of those documents that is used as a a confessional document in Presbyterian and Reformed circles. And he tells a story about a time of great turmoil in a western city of the United States, back in the wild, wild west. And this, uh, there, there was in this town out there, there was an army officer who was walking down the street, and there was pandemonium breaking loose all around him. There was fighting, there was rioting in the streets, and he was just walking down the street very calmly. And then he noticed, as he was walking down the street, there was another man walking toward him. And he was just walking down the street very calmly as well. And they noticed each other, so much so that after they passed each other, uh, the army officer turned around to look at the other man, and the other man turned around to look at him as well. And then the other man came up to him, and without saying anything, he put his finger on his chest, and he said, What is man's chief end? And the army officer replied saying, Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And then the the man said to him, to the army officer, You had the look of a a shorter catechism boy. And then the army officer responded, You know, that's the exact same thing I was thinking about you. Now, what's the point here? Go memorize the shorter catechism. Wouldn't be a bad idea during these times when you may have some extra time on your, uh, on your plate. But the point is this. You can live in peace. You can live in peace no matter what is going on around you. And not just if you're a shorter catechism boy or girl, but if you believe what's found in that shorter catechism, which is what? It's the news, the good news, that God has loved us so much that He sent His Son, and that Son gave His life for us, And that the Father and the Son give the Spirit to those who love Jesus and believe in Him. That's the kind of peace that He gives to us. That that we we might walk in it no matter what is happening around us. Let's pray. Our God, we thank You for this very full section of teaching. And it's hard for us to get our our minds around it, but we understand at least that you love your own and your, lo- your own love you, that you have given us your commands and we can walk in them by the Spirit that you've given us, that you have not left us as orphans, that you came to us after the resurrection and you make your home within us by your Spirit. And so we pray that in these days that you would enable us to live in faith, in love, in obedience, and in the peace that you give that peace that passes all understanding. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.